Before we get started, please take a few moments to listen to our disclaimer. The value of investments can go down as well as up, so you may get back less than you invest. The information in this podcast is not a personal recommendation for any particular investment. If you are unsure about the suitability of an investment, you should speak to an authorised financial advisor. Past performance is not a reliable indicator of future returns. Hi everybody and welcome to the Master Investors Podcast. We're joined by Evil Knievel today. He's probably one of the UK's best known short sellers, one of the UK's most infamous traders. We'll be talking about the sell-off in the markets, uh, the rise in the gold price, and also a few stock-specific situations that Evil finds interesting right now. So I hope you enjoy the show, and thanks for tuning in. Okay, welcome to the show, everybody. My name is James Faulkner. I'm the editor of Master Investor Magazine, and I'm joined by Simon Corkwell, aka Evil Knievel. Welcome to the show, Simon. Thank you, James. Obviously, we've had quite a quite a significant sell-off in the markets lately. Um, yes. What do you make of all that? Is that is it the start of something big? Do you think, or I've should no, investors be I, buying on the dips? I have no idea. <laughs> it all it all swings round what America does, and seemingly a buffoon Trump has an infinite supply of money, which he keeps borrowing from somewhere, to pump up the economy. So that causes Wall Street to hold up for much longer than I ever thought it would. But anyway, I've been consistently wrong on this <laughs> for the last 10 years. And so an extra year won't make any difference. Yeah, I suppose the trouble is sort of while the music's playing, you've got to carry on dancing, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, that's, that is absolutely right, yes. And what do you make of the, the, the recent interest rate cut in the US? Well, I don't know where they go from here. Of course, the idea of a negative yielding bond, how you get less on the bond when eventually you come to cash in, is now well established. I'm now thinking of German bonds and so on. It all seems crazy to me. And of course, you've got quite a few government bonds now in Europe that are trading on negative yields. Well, you? quite. What's, what the hell is going on there? <laughs> I, I have absolutely no idea. I suppose people imagine that they're getting something uh, safe. Mind you, Italians have uh, subscribed for uh, liabilities of the Italian government at, as you refer to them, as negative bond yields. And they've done that, I can only think, because of patriotism on their part, because it certainly can't be justified by economics, that's for sure. Jim Mellon, our yeah. chairman, among others, has suggested that the UK market in yeah. particular is now looking quite cheap. What are your thoughts on that? Well, of course, he may well be right. Uh, I don't know if he is, or he is but uh, uh, the fact is that there's still an awful lot of money swilling around and it wouldn't take a great deal of imagination to see that on top of that, HM government might start increasing the supply of money for all sorts of reasons. For instance, an election. Yep. Uh, and that would buoy markets up and I think, I think uh, the chairman is right here, yes, yeah. no question. And obviously now we've got Boris as Prime Minister. Yes. I mean, you're, you're no fan of Boris. Um, well, I, think, <laughs> I, I think he's a liar. And I don't care how enthusiastic he is. A liar who enthuses is 
characteristic of many a liar through the ages and I think people should be cautious about being taken in by this performance. And obviously that's Boris as, you know, as an individual and as a, as a character, but what about Boris's impact on the UK stock market, do you think? Because um, well, there's been a lot of talk about this modern monetary theory, which as far as, far as I can tell is kind of like the helicopter money yes, idea. Yes, um, it is, that's absolutely QE on steroids. Yes, ab <laughs> it is absolutely right, yes, yes, I agree, yes. But obviously, for the for the stock market, that could mean that we've got quite a few more years in the in the ball run, maybe. Well, I don't know. People don't get fooled forever, you know. <laughs> so, as a short seller, that's what people know you for. At this point in the cycle, is there anything in particular that you're looking for in a in a, a short candidate? No, I think one just takes each one on its own merits. Uh, for instance. Uh, the one that came out of the blue a few weeks ago was Woodford Patient Capital Trust. The problem with that one is getting to borrow stock, which is a, it makes for quite a difficulty. And that's obviously been hit by the scandal with Neil Woodford. That's trading on a huge discount to assets right now, isn't it? Well, I, I actually, I think there's a fair chance that far from having and let us value say 80 pence a share, I think it's quite possible that WPCT, which is the company to which you refer, yeah. has negative net assets, i.e. it's bust. But I can't prove it. We will just have to wait and see. There is this huge amount of debt inside WPCT where the collateral held by the bankers is various dud shares accumulated by Woodford and they really are valueless on disposal, certainly on any forced disposal and the bankers now have the right to run WPCT at will and when they get in there, if they're not already in, they will just chuck stock out and uh, therefore when that happens these asset values at uh, WPCT will crater. And a lot of these companies in Woodford Patient Capital are very early stage companies. I don't think early stage is the right term. Yeah. Uh, I, I think they're just hope. That's all it is. Yeah. And I think, I don't know how the investments are decided at Woodford, but I think people have disappeared into la-la land to make them and, and therefore these things will come apart if I'm right and I'm pretty sure I am. Moving back to the, the, the macro uh, picture and mm. um, you recently bought into gold and prospect precious metals. Yes. I take it you're, you're a, gold, a gold bull at the moment. Oh yes, um, oh yes. <laughs> obviously gold becomes very attractive in times of extreme economic dislocation. Well, it's, a, it's, it's an insurance policy, not, isn't it? It's not as though uh, one is having to... Gold doesn't have to compete with cash bearing uh, significant rates of interest attached to mm. it. It doesn't. So anyone who's sitting on cash it would, would sorely be tempted to go to so gold. The opportunity cost of holding gold as opposed to cash Quite. is very little, yeah. I think um, when I, I was um, interviewing Tim Price... Yes. Um, in, in a podcast recently and I think he described the decision to, to hold gold as a conscious decision to 
extract oneself from the, the financial system and sit apart from the financial yes. system until yes. the financial system becomes sane again. Yes. <laughs> I think I think you've got it right. Uh, yeah. Yes. What attracts you to gold and prospect precious metals in particular? Because this is a it's a very small investment trust, isn't it? Is it an investment trust or an, an investment, investment company? company yeah, I investment think. company. What attracts me to it is that net asset value is now over 40 pence a share. Mm. And so and they're big companies, they're not fly-by-night jobbies. And therefore, I think, for those who want uh, coverage in the gold sector, I would have thought Golden Prospect Minerals is just the thing, GPM. When I last looked at them this morning, about 33 pence. It's, it's, I don't think the upside here is spectacular, but it, on the other hand, I don't think there's any downside to speak mm. of. So for those who are by nature cautious, this is something just to tuck away and leave alone. And for, for somebody who really kind of wants to gear into the gold price, what about the, the, the really small cap miners? which potentially stand yes. to gain the most from a big uptick in, yes. in the gold price for operational gearing. Well, again, everyone has their own views to uh, what they like. I did a, a trade in Orissa the other day, which is very satisfactory. I bought a million at an average of 3.35, and I lobbed them out at uh, 4.60 and 5.60, and so that was quite a useful profit. I know, what is that? It's not quite 2p, but it's getting on that way. And I, of course, I still got hundreds and hundreds of thousands of Forrester, uh, which cost me vastly more than the current price. Right. <laughs> so it, uh, there, there it is. But I, I want to just sit there and wait to see what happens. Yeah. I mean, I think the reason the, the directors are optimistic is that uh, there has been very encouraging drilling by one of Newmont's investments close by to Anzar, the RSA investment in Colombia, and there Newmont are involved in RSA and so on. So I think there's a fair chance this is going to run, but as to when, I don't know. I don't see any hurry right as we speak to buy RSA, but anyway, that remains to be seen. Well, and what are your sort of long-term predictions for gold then? Because I've, some commentators have been suggesting that the gold price could run all the way to $10,000 an ounce. Well, Is people, that... when people want to get emotional, that's the sort <laughs> of thing they say, and then good luck to them. But then again, we saw gold run all the way from, what was it, about $200 an ounce in yes. two, around about 2000 yes. all right all the way up to $1,900 yes. an well, ounce. Well, I don't, I don't think $5,000 is a completely balmy mm. target because when the punters really get going on this thing, they won't mess around, you know. They won't say, well, I'll take out $10 profit or $20 profit. They will buy and buy and buy, and it'll be a huge run when it comes, and I believe it will come. But as to when, I don't know. Your long call on sterling, 125 has sort of backfired a little bit. <laughs> yes, and they're off again. Sterling's off again in USD terms yeah. this morning. But uh, it, everyone believes that a no-deal Brexit will be a disaster, mm. 
But I, to me, that's absolute nonsense. I think a no-deal Brexit will be, be the beginning of happiness. <laughs> but anything to get rid of these regulators and so forth based in Brussels. And then once we got rid of them instead, we can get to work on getting rid of them in this country as well, which I think will be a very desirable result. What do you make of the prospects for a no-deal Brexit then? Do you think the market actually believes now that a no-deal Brexit is the most likely outcome? In which yes, case, yes, is think... it in the price of, of sterling? I simply don't know, but it, it looks to me as if that is so. But the Remainers are the most amazing guessers and liars. They are astonishing. At least with a Brexiteer, you're told the truth as to what uh, he does or doesn't reasonably think will happen in due course. But the Remainers just lie at will because their overriding uh, belief in life is that remaining is so important that they're entitled to tell lies. Well, I, once you have that starting point, why would you ever believe a Remainer? I mean, there is no point. You said Boris is a liar. Do you believe his promise that the UK will leave on the 31st of October? Well, do I believe it? And it might happen that way, yes. But I think increasingly people will be very angry if it doesn't happen. So perhaps you'll have some political incentive to see that it does. And how do you think that's going to happen? Because there's been obviously talk of proroguing Parliament. Oh, that's just all talk. <laughs> but I'm guessing for no deal to happen, Parliament either has to be sidestepped somehow or they have to vote for it. So what are the mechanics of it? You know, how is, how is it actually going to happen? I don't know. Again, I don't much believe what MPs say because they lie at will. So there's no point in trying to bust one's brain. I'm trying to see where they're telling the truth and not. I mean, I just, there's no point. I've got a few readers' questions for you, um, Go Simon. On. The first one: Can you meet triumph and disaster and remain unemotional? I would say, as people <laughs> go, yes, I think I can. But I, that's just a personal view. I don't know whether others would share it. I mean, surely in your game, you have to remain sort of stone cold, unemotional, don't you? Because right. As a, right. as a trader, you're trading things on yes. a daily basis. Yes, one must be dispassionate. Yes, I hope that I'm always dispassionate, but <laughs> there it is. She's someone who is not dispassionate when looking at the stock market will surely come unstuck very swiftly. We've got a racing question for you here, actually. <laughs> How important are Gallup reports in making a decision on what to back in a race, and where do you get them from? Well, I don't <laughs> attend Gallup's. I mean, one reason is there's usually six o'clock in the morning and it's cold. And anyone <laughs> who thinks that I can get out to Lambourne, say, at six o'clock in the morning, has got to be mad. I certainly wouldn't. I mean, given my condition, I can't do that. However, I do know people who do spend their time on the gallops and they tell me interesting things from time to time. But there's no particular pattern in it at all. Another stock-specific question for you. Um, some time ago, you recommended Block Energy, but the share price has remained static or gone down. What do you think, think about this company now? I don't think I have ever expressed a view on Block Energy. Have I? I don't recall having done so, no. It's not one that jumps to mind no. to me. <laughs> no, no. Price, but... no, I think whoever the, the questioner is, he or she is misinformed. The price of gold has gone up substantially. Is it too late to buy? We've kind of covered that one already, but um, 
No, it's a short house there. I think maybe yeah. there's much further to go, I suspect. So, any more short positions at the moment that we should be aware of? You mentioned Watchstone earlier. Yeah, oh, well, I, I want to come on to Watchstone, and I will right now, if you like. But there's no particular short that slams me in the face right now as a, as a gimme. I don't, I don't have anything along those lines. Yeah. I'm told that GVC, which is the company that took over Labrooks, they've got nothing interesting in there in the long term. And therefore, they will. Their price will come under pressure. But as to when, I don't know. But uh, I, I, I just don't take a view. And what about Watchstone then? Because this is for the this oh, is the old Quindell. Yes. Well, Watchstone is very interesting. I've watched it going down and down now for months and indeed years, and I thought, well, that's very strange. And I've wondered uh, just why, and I've inquired of people who fancied themselves or been acquainted with the periphery at Washstone. And it seems to me that this is an outstanding buy. And certainly when I put in a healthy order a couple of days ago, I thought I'd get swamped with sellers if there were informed sellers around. But no such uh, joy. And it's I mean, if if it really is the case that Watchstone is in serious financial trouble, all I can tell you is there is no sign of insider selling. It just there just isn't that selling, which is interesting. Now, I'll come on to the condition attaching to the insiders, but certainly the selling that's been going on and on has just been. Uh, bored private investors chucking it out and this is dribble 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 down <laughs> and i think they got down to 68 offer the other day and i i put an order in for 100,000 or something like that and i got 25,000 at uh, 68 and boof i had to pay 73p for a further 55,000 yesterday and I, I would have cheerfully bought a lot more because I think, as I will, as I will now explain, there is a, a very strong argument for buying Watchstone. The fact is, you see, that it's a tiny little company which has no institutional following at all. I think it being a principle of a substantial institution that you don't get involved in the tail end of a fraud because you, they would argue you don't know when the fraud is finally cleansed from the vehicle and uh, Quindell of course was Watchstone's original name and uh, the fact is the SFO are in there and we'll have to see what happens but anyway I want to come back to what I think the betting should be on Watchstone basically there are two classes of lawyer in this um, business. There are the lawyers acting for Slater and Gordon, the Australian end, which ran up uh, this huge debt, was it 500 million pounds, to buy the personal injury division of Washington. Then there's the lawyers for the defense. Well, the lawyers of the defense 
have no option but to defend. I mean, if it were the case that uh, they saw no point in persisting with defence, I think they would long ago have settled. But they haven't. The trial is apparently set to be in, in the courts in October, November of this year, not that long away, and I think we'll therefore see what's been going on. Incidentally, I, I don't think this necessarily gets into court. I could easily see this being settled outside court before then. But the essence of it is this, that there are 46 million shares at issue, and at 75 pence, that's a capitalization of 35 million pounds. Well, net asset value of uh, Watchstone is disclosed in the accounts is closer to 50 million. And once this litigation is over, the, the shares will probably be worth, on breakup, at least 100 million. And that being the case, there's around 200 pence a share net of cost between now and that point. We're we, talking about net assets, are we talking about net tangible assets? Or oh, yes, 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 yes. What's I mean, that made well, up of? Well, I don't pay any attention to goodwill, as you know. Yeah. It's just, <laughs> in these circumstances, it means nothing. I know people put goodwill in balance sheets, but that's just <laughs> finance directors trying to self-aggrandize themselves. I mean, it doesn't interest me at all. Anyway, the fact is, Watchstone is now in a very interesting position because we, the investors, are asked to believe that Slater and Gordon were misled when buying the personal uh, injuries division of Watchstone. And I just think that's so unlikely that they were misled. I think it's much more probable that they bought it, then found they hadn't bought very wisely, and elected instead to um, not uh, go away and lick their wounds. No, they've got to get involved in some litigation. Well, you don't have to persuade a lawyer that a litigation is worthwhile. They love it. They have no sense of morality at all. They, they, a lawyer just thinks, oh, well, I'll get a check for a million, another million, another million, and this is terrific. And so I, as long as I keep feeding the client with more material to justify a, a litigation, that's no problem. There is, of course, the other point, that the, there are two further categories of aggrieved litigants or allegedly aggrieved litigants and they are the staff who'd like to keep things going. And then there's the banks who financed the acquisition by Slater and Gordon. And as a result, that's, that's the, the motivation behind the, the litigation. Now, I can be wrong. I mean, it may be. There's a perfectly good case. But I think that's very unlikely. If uh, you were acting for Watchstone on the sales divisions, uh, deliberately to mislead the buyer is crazy because there's money held in escrow depending the settlement of matters and therefore there's something to defend. Why would you bother to mislead the buyer if in fact 
there is a, you, you, you know there's a problem on the way. So when Watchstone said they had taken every uh, possible step to avoid having troubles from the buyer, I believe them. And I think it's just a matter of time before all this unfolds. Now, when that happens, obviously, uh, on this scenario, Slater and Gordon will have to put up a lot of money towards Watchstone's expenses. Whether they've got any money to do that, I don't know. They may, they may not. But the fact is that uh, they'll have to pay up that. And then there's the value of Watchstone duly liberated and cashed up. And I suspect it's uh, 200 pence a share, possibly more. I, I mean, I don't know, but I think it's that amount. And, and at that point, some bright spark will say, well, I'll have Watchstone and use it uh, as a vehicle elsewhere in the stock market firmament. So it's an interesting sort of special situation for investors to take a look at. Oh, it is. It most certainly is. Yeah. I just remind investors that I went in to buy Lumpy. I mean, I was quite prepared to buy hundreds of thousands of shares, but I certainly didn't achieve that. There just right. isn't any stock there. And that, I remind you, was on a weekday in markets. Yeah. So you'd think that if uh, on a weekday someone would say, well, I must get out of this whilst I can. No one trying to do it. Any others we should be aware of at the moment? The the interesting one at the moment is the chairman's agronomics, because although it's a bit ahead of net asset value, I think I've seen a figure of seven pence a share net asset value, uh, and the, the price is currently around eleven pence, and therefore one, one asks oneself the question: Would one buy an investment company? Uh, at a premium to net assets of that order. I think on this occasion one would because I think the directors of agronomics have got a number of schemes coming along and this will see agronomics decisively higher in due course. So I think the, the chairman is definitely on the case there and I think people who are patient uh, could easily make another 50% on their money, perhaps even 100%. And of course, the, the big um, listing in the US, uh, Beyond Meat, has uh, yes, seen yes. the share price well, soar yes. lately. Yeah, well, it went up to $235, and I think it finished at about $160 last night, as, as it ought to collapse. And then one would be slightly cautious for agronomics in, the, in view of the loss of sentiment of Beyond Meat. But, but it's not a flash in the pan, in, in your view. It's um, well, as a stock market venture, I think Beyond Meat is definitely still grossly overvalued. But I don't think that means that agronomics will come down. Mm. And of course, uh, there are real industrial changes going on here. Are you a clean meat enthusiast, Evil? Do you no, partake in no, that? <laughs> no, no, no. I think it, this stuff tastes dry, horrid. I mean, I just I wouldn't touch it. I, didn't, I, I have touched it and I don't like it. But surely the point is, over the longer term, these the companies that are developing these substitutes, they, they develop things that are almost identical to the to the real thing. They, they'll claim that, but I <laughs> doubt if it is. But if it's saving the planet, oh well. 
Ah, well, that's <laughs> that's a separate point. I think there is a strong move to save the planet. I don't see that going away. Yeah, it's not a fad. It's a, it's a serious matter, and of course, uh, these non-meat foods are good for one. They are definitely just the thing to keep one alive and in a healthy manner. And I can't see that changing at all. No. Yeah. Well, on that note, thank you very much for your time today, Simon. It's been a pleasure. Well, my pleasure too. And thank you for listening, everybody. Don't forget, you can access more great content, including Master Investor magazine at masterinvestor.co.uk. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can support us by hitting the subscribe button and by leaving a review. If you've got any suggestions about who you'd like us to interview or topics you'd like us to cover, please send us an email at info at masterinvestor.co.uk. Thanks for listening.